Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers and for everyone else who loves the Hebrew Scriptures. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. This week we have one of our little uh, Polly Pocket-sized mini-episodes on the lectionary text for this week, which is Isaiah 1, first verse, and then a handful of them later. Uh, in just a couple weeks, we'll have our long-form episode with the one and only Dr. Brent Strawn, a big sort of uh, bouncy castle-sized episode with him. But uh, for now, we, uh, Rachel's going to be leading us out on the beginning of Isaiah. Yeah, so let's dive right in. This is uh, It was pretty easy to do the, the literary context for this one because it's chapter one, so not too much <laughs> literary context. It is the beginning, and the first verse basically just orients us to what's going on. We are in the prophecies of Isaiah, son of Amos, who prophesied concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Uh, Now, you may remember from our previous discussions of Isaiah, but just in case you've forgotten or are new to the podcast, the book of Isaiah is most scholars believed broken up into three chunks. You have a first chunk, which was written before the catastrophe, as it is sometimes called, or the exile, um, when kings were still ruling in Judah and Isaiah was prophesying to those kings. And then you have a second chunk, which is during the exile, after the people have been taken out of Jerusalem and sent to Babylon and various other places. And you see a shift in tone there from one of God demanding and pleading that Israel stop their sinful ways and return to a God who is comforting and promising that the suffering they are under uh, will not be forever. And then in the third section, it's unclear if it's after the exile, but it's definitely has the end of the exile in view. It knows that something is about to change and it is celebrating what can be, what might be, um, while at the same time warning that, remember, what got us here in the first place, don't do that again. (laughs) But all of that is down the road. Right now we are just starting at the very beginning, as Maria from The Sound of Music would say, um, except that we skip right after verse 1 to verse 10. Uh, I don't know if it's because it has the word ass in there in verse 3. That's one of my favorite things is when you get to swear when they have the word that word in there, but uh, that's maybe just me. But we jump to verse 10. Now, normally I'm a big fan of saying, throw the lectionary out, put it all in there. Um, I don't know that it's absolutely necessary this time, but I would say it would be important to at least sum up what those verses are contributing to this passage at the beginning of your sermon. Because otherwise, we start at verse 10, and it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you chieftains of Sodom. Give ear to our God's instruction, you folk of Gomorrah. What need have I of your sacrifices? And everybody in the pew is going to be like, whoa, 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 God, what's the deal? Why are you so mad? Well, the reasons God is so mad come in verses 2 through 9. You have Israel presented as a rebellious child. You have descriptions of Israel as willfully not understanding God's words. You have Israel presented as children who do evil, deal corruptly, indulge in their own self-destruction, and yet, in the midst of all of that, are still pretending to be devoted worshipers. So that's the, the reason for the divine anger that we get right away in verses 10 through 11. And I think 
to avoid, uh, this is one of those preaching pitfalls, to avoid people's concern about the wrathful God of the Old Testament, it's important to at least tell them why God is angry right now. And I think there are reasons that we would all be on board with. That works with kids, too. It does, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So... Jumping right in to verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, you chieftains of Sodom. Give ear to our God's instruction, you folk of Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah are probably going to tickle your people's ears in the pew, um, but they may have forgotten the bulk of that story. So that might be a good place to sum up as well. Um, You may want to remind people that these were famous cities that lived in the psyche of Israel as places that were destroyed by divine order because of deep and pervasive corruption. And that is the tone that's being lifted up here. So again, in verse 11, we see it start off with, what need have I of all your sacrifices, says the Lord. And this is, it's really too bad that um, you can't quite capture this in Hebrew because what God is doing is listing off every single possible sacrifice you could bring. You got rams, you got bulls, you got fatlings, you got lambs, you got he goats. I don't want none of it. I mean, God is like trying to be as clear as God possibly can. And then we hear a little bit more about why in verse 12. Verse 12 reads that you come before me. Who asked that of you? Trample my courts no more. And I want to pause and hover over that verse for a second because I looked up that Hebrew word trample. It's ramas, Resh Mem Samek, for those who are doing a little Hebrew. And when I looked it up, it's used a couple of times in Second Kings, in several of the prophetic books, and in the Psalms. And it's always used in a similar context to describe either someone being trampled to death or a plant being trampled to death by an animal. In other words, God's not just saying, don't come around here. But there's something violent in what people have been doing in God's holy sanctuary, which is supposedly the core of creation itself from which life sprung. This is a big problem for God. And in verse 13, we get a sense of how angry God is because it is just continuous. No more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is offensive to me. New moon, Sabbath, proclaiming of solemnities, assemblies with iniquity, I cannot abide. A couple of weeks ago, we kind of had a, a window into the divine inner struggle. I feel like here we're kind of getting a window into a divine Facebook rant a little bit. <laughs> like God is talking in all caps here with about 18 exclamation points. I really don't like them. He keeps going too. In verse 14, Your new moons and your celebrations fill me with loathing. They become a burden to me. I cannot endure them. In fact, in your your, uh, NRSV, it probably says something like, my soul hates. And I want to pause there as well, because that word soul is one we've talked about a fair amount on this podcast. It's nefesh. We've talked about that as your mortal core, your throat, all of these different Uh, translations, but it's very rare to find it used to describe God in the Bible. And it's even more rare to hear God talking about God's own nephesh. And so this this would have caused people to pause and their ears to perk up. And we troubleshot a little bit of what actually the translation here might be. And what Tim came up with, which I think is fantastic, is if you remember that nephesh has something to do with your throat, 
what God is saying here is almost your your holidays and your festivals make me gag. It's like the divine gag reflex has been triggered. And in fact, in verse 14, he goes on to say, I am weary of bearing these offerings. And in verse 15, we find out why. When you lift up your hands, I will turn my eyes away from you. Though you pray, I will not listen. And then the Hebrew here is just sharp and punching. Yedechem damim maleu. Your hands are full of blood. We find out why the divine gag reflex has been so triggered because as people are coming and offering their offerings of thanksgiving and praise and love, their hands with which they reach out are full of blood and God cannot stand it. Now, the verses go on and they go to a different place, of course. In 18, the JPS has a really nice translation here in verse 18. Come, let us reach an understanding, says the Lord. Though your sins be like crimson, they can turn snow white. Be they red as dyed wool, they can become like fleece. If then you agree and give heed, you will eat the good things of the earth. And I find that really beautiful. And here's where I think a really nice preaching angle is, is that God takes pains in this text to describe the extent to which the divine body is revolted by the violent actions of God's people. And yet there's something within God that even in that moment of revulsion, God cannot help but reach out with hands full of forgiveness. And I think that that is just pure grace in that moment. You don't have to go to Jesus if you don't want to. It's in there. But darn me if my nephesh isn't reaching out for that. So (laughs) that's what I got for you today. All right. Well, that's great. Thanks, Rachel. That's a really great analysis of that text. And I'm sure that will get people off to some really good sermons. I hope so. Well, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. And remember to go to our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. And there you can take a look at back episodes and uh, see more information about our guests and that kind of thing. Uh, Remember to subscribe to the podcast feed, and that will give you access to our episodes just as soon as they're available. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching.